0: For 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
1: A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Khreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get
0: your podcasts. Vanity
2: Fair. Kara, you could have covered anything, any part of this weird, wonderful world. Why did you land on tech? Why Silicon Valley?
3: Oh, Brian, I don't know. I regret it now. These many 30 years (gasps) hence. Um, No, I just loved it the minute I started covering it. It was so interesting to me. It was love at first. sight. That's
2: the one, the only Kara Swisher, the pioneering tech reporter behind brands like All Things D and Recode. She now hosts the On With Kara Swisher podcast, she co-hosts Pivot, and she's the author of a brand new memoir called Burn Book, which comes out next week. And I'm Brian Stelter. Let me welcome you to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, we're going inside what Swisher calls a tech love story. That's the subtitle of Burn Book. Swisher has been covering tech since the early days of Netscape. She's made relationships. She's lost relationships with the tech founders and CEOs that have changed our world. And Kara, you say you've gradually transformed from a journalist to more of an advocate. Um, Kind of. You chronicle that in the book. What's the difference in your mind and, and why has that happened?
3: It's that I have a point of view. Like I have done enough reporting to have a point of view and everything. And I think I had started that journey when I left the Wall Street Journal and it was in the Wall Street Journal to start all things D because that was the charge of it is we didn't just scoop, which we did. We get the scoops and get the news. but We also told you what it meant. And at some point when Steve Jobs, you know, would say, we're not working on a phone. I was like, I don't believe you like, which is what I would say to him if I was in his office, right? right? I don't believe you. So why not say it publicly? And and I think you're doing it because of this, this, and this. And that's, is that a point of view? Is that, or I think what you're doing at Facebook is dangerous and here's why, and I'm going to argue with you about it. And so is that advocacy or is it just truth?
2: Well, here are a couple of lines in Burn Book that, that show your analysis, your point of view about this industry. You wrote, it is ever more urgent that we take back control can you explain what that means control control from who and how do we do it how do we take back control
3: well we never have taken control so we've given we've given it over to the tech people since the very beginning they've had all the leverage and and the people who paid for it have had none right if you want to come up with one theme of this book do you want to give unaccountable power over the most important aspects of our society going forward and currently To the richest and most unaccountable people on the planet, I'm not as comfortable with it. And by the way, there are a lot of them are the same. They're all the same people. And is that the way we want to conduct our democracy? I'm not so interested in that.
2: You also say, quote, where tech goes depends on who makes the decisions. Right. Uh, And and you know, the people that have been making the decisions, it seems like the more you interviewed them, uh, the more skeptical, maybe the less trusting, (laughs) the
3: more concerned, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, why am I listening to venture capitalists on Ukraine? I don't really want to. I want them to shut up. They can say things. What a shot the All In
2: podcast there.
3: Well, no, just any of them. They're all, there's not, not just them. You see them, everyone. Like, oh, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you. But that's like a typical, That they're much more typical. But those smart ones don't because they, you know, they don't know what the they're talking about. The smart
2: don't, right. Um,
3: you don't hear Tim Cook going on about Ukraine. He wouldn't. Why would he? He's an adult. He knows that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He may, I bet he probably does more than they do, by the way. FYI, he's done business there. He's done business in Russia. I would trust his point of view a whole lot more than a lot of people's, but he ain't gonna. Mouth off because he's an adult person who has control over his emotions and doesn't need a constant licking up and down by anonymous fanboys on Twitter, whatever. In any case, um, shout out
2: Elon Musk. And we're talking, about, <laughs> we're talking about the immature. Who are the mature ones other than Tim oh, Cook? Who, other than Tim Cook, who are the adults in the room? Sam Altman at OpenAI. Uh, he's interviewing the
3: he I like him, I think he's thoughtful like, look, I'll take a thoughtful adult approach any day of the week at this point. Like, and here we have Sam who's saying, okay, there are dangers, let's discuss. Uh, And he got it, he got a little comeuppance, but he recovered pretty nicely. You know, you have him thinking about thinking, trying at least think big thoughts. At the same time, he's going to do what's in his interests. He's an aggressive entrepreneur, obviously. I mean, everyone's like, can you believe it? I'm like, I can believe that he's going to do what's in his interests and, but I'm okay with that as long as we all understand the stakes of the game. And then you have, you know, Elon who's like making boob jokes and he's 52 years old, almost continually and talking about women's uteruses with, of which he has, he's had a lot of children, but he still doesn't know about women's he uteruses. Does not know, right? I feel like, why are we giving these people the ability to make decisions that should be done by uh, A group of people, uh, you know, I mean, in that regard. And why did they get to make decisions that affect us all? They don't they don't feel like they have any responsibility for the things they say and the impact it has in the real world. And that's always been my that became a pressing issue for me as 2016 dawned when you could see the implications of it.
2: Right. Is that the closest thing to to a a red line, a kind of before and after moment in your career? I mean, 2016 being, of course, the election, Donald Trump's election. Mm -hmm. And there's that moment you write about in the book where the CEOs of the big tech firms, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, they go and meet the newly elected president.
4: Larry Bates, Alphabet and Google, probably the youngest company here. The youngest person. (laughs) really glad to be here.
3: Charles Sandberg, Facebook. Excited to talk about jobs.
2: Uh, Mike Pence, governor of Indiana, for a few more days and
3: vice president
2: of the United States. Well, I just want to thank everybody. This is a truly amazing group of people. I won't tell you the hundreds of calls we've had asking to come to this meeting. Is that the red line moment? Yeah, but so
3: why Why did that meeting... It was one of them. I, saw, I started to see it coming because Maria Ressa, who won the uh, Nobel Prize for her work in the Philippines and stuff, I... She warned me like she's you could see it happening there. And there was some great reporting by a wide range of great reporters on that topic what was happening in Myanmar and stuff like that. And and and, you know, look, Trump is Trump. I I honestly can't believe I'm saying this, but I got him. He said it out loud what he was going to do. It wasn't like it was hidden. He's, he didn't like he didn't like say I'm a nice guy and then turn around and do the Muslim ban. He said, I'm going to ban Muslims. I'm going to do this. You know, he just said it over and over again. And I kind of took him at his word. So when my issue was them who went on and on to me about what good people they were and how they wanted to protect democracy and they really are different. They're change makers. I was I've I've had it with them. They're not change makers. They're change keepers. Right. If they needed to suck up to this son of a bitch, they were going to do it. And even if they thought he was a buffoon, which they called him that over and over to me, I was like, I don't have any time for you if you're going to tell me, oh, don't worry, Kara, I know he's a buffoon. And then in public, say nothing. I just don't have Mm. any time for you. Either just don't tell me you think he's a buffoon privately so that I like you better. I I like you less because you do that (laughs) kind of thing. And so that really just irritated me is that they, first of all, that they didn't tell anybody they were doing it. And I had to Actually, that was a good scoop of mine. Nobody knew, nobody in the tech press knew they were doing that. That would seem to be something they might want to put a press release out on, but they didn't because they were embarrassed by their behavior. Mm. I called them sheeple. I was like, you know, sheep people. Like, are you all they cared about was getting that money back, that repatriation of those funds, a tax break they liked, no more no regulations to speak of. Someone they could get contracts from and that they didn't care about any of the other repercussions of the Trump administration. Um, Maybe a little bit around the edges when he actually did call for the Muslim ban. But to a person, including Elon, he's not going to do the Muslim ban, Kara. He won't. It's just talk. I was like, Mm. hmm, I don't think it's talk. I think he means it. He said it like 712 times on the campaign trail. Like, I kind of feel like he means it. Like, you know, but, Mm. you know, they knew better. They knew better.
2: Is it the Trump years and and that turmoil that fractured your relationships with some of these executives? Some
3: of them. Not, Not all of them, because I think, you know, I don't know if it was fractured. I just I had already gone that direction and was known as being tough. I think after a series of interviews like that really tough one. Well, that was late. Well, the one where Mark Sweat.
2: That's the one I was rewatching to prepare for this conversation. Let me actually just go ahead and play a little bit of that. It's been it's been almost 15 years. So let me refresh people's memories with this clip of Kara. We all are. But but this is a very nervous, (laughs) very sweaty Zuckerberg in 2010. Yes, he was.
3: Do you feel like it's a backlash or that you feel like you're violating people's privacy? Do you you feel like you're adequately portrayed as a because I want to wonder about the person who actually created this thing?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot of stuff happened happened along the way. I think, um, you know, there were real learning points and turning points along the way in terms of um, in terms of building things. You know, it really went from this position very early on, where we were just in this college dorm room. To we moved out to California. It was a few friends and me, and. Um, you know, it, it just kind of had this project feel for a while. And there was this real turning point when um, when companies started trying to buy the company for a huge amount of money. And, you know, I had to kind of get my friends together and we had to decide what was it that we really cared about and what was it that we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, we decided not to, to take those offers. And, right. you know, to me, a lot of that decision was that what we wanted to do and what we wanted to spend, you know, a big part of our lives doing mm-hmm. was just continuing to push and um, and, and kind of build products that help people share information, um, right. build products that help people stay connected. Um, and that's really what we're spending our time doing. And you know, I, I think you know, there's just been a lot, of, a lot of space between that early stuff and where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I could, if I knew what I knew now then, mm-hmm. then I hope I wouldn't have made those mistakes, but mm-hmm. I can't go back and change the past. I can only do what we think is the right thing going forward. So uh, before we move off this privacy thing and I thought that was a fascinating right, it's answer.
3: Okay, you want to take off the hoodie?
4: No, I never take off the I know you don't. What's <laughs> with
3: that? There's a group of women in the audience that wish you would.
4: And- no, no. <laughs>
2: so, so, certainly, that is one of those moments, Kara, where mm-hmm. everybody looks around and says, uh Kara is taking no prisoners.
3: That wasn't me. Let me just say, he sweat. That was his panic attack or whatever it was. He was said he was sick. Um, I thought I was very sweet to him, trying to get him to calm down, because I was worried about that he'd faint. I, he, I, someone had told me he had a fainting problem, might have been one of his relatives, and um, and I just was worried about his health at that moment. I really was. I mean, I take off your jacket. He wasn't going to take off his friggin' jacket, and I, I was like, you need to take off your jacket. And you know, he was embarrassed. I thought Walt and I were rather nice to him during that exchange and getting. I tried to make a joke. I tried to calm it down. I thought that was a rather nice version of me. I don't think he even (laughs) wrote me a note saying thank you. And and, and Walt and I, and, and, you know, uh, very few people thought that we, that was our fault. He just got nervous because he had been asked those questions dozens of times. It wasn't like we were breaking hard ground there with the privacy questions that Walt was Mm. asking him. He had been asked that a dozen times in the weeks before that. So it just was a bad day for Mark Zuckerberg.
2: I take your point that by the Trump era, though, these mm-hmm. interviews have become folklore. The
3: problem came when the third interview, which was when we went, I went to Facebook headquarters. I always like to interview people at their headquarters because they feel safe. I'm like, sure, you're safe. Sure, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) And so we had this interview and in the middle of it, I was arguing with him about Alex Jones because I had had it with fucking Alex Jones. I was like, he's on your platform. He's breaking every rule you made. I looked at your rules. He broke them 78 times at this point or whatever it was. Are you going to do anything about it? It was sort of like, hey, mayor, why are you letting this guy take a shit on... On the in the public park every day, like didn't you say no shits in the public park? I would like to know what you're doing. If I'm a citizen, a concerned citizen, and so he wanted to shift it to Holocaust deniers, which I was like, oh no, 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 please don't go there. I feel like I'm much more educated on this topic than you are, for one, because I studied it in college. Um, And it, there's no winning when you start to defend Holocaust deniers, right? I was like, oh, don't. You're just not equipped to do this, and. Um, it's not that he's not smart. It's just, it's a, not an easy argument to make. Well, if, mm. if you're just absolutely good at it. And so <laughs> he then wandered down to this highway where he, um, where he just started not making any sense, right? About and saying they didn't mean to lie and everything else. And it was so offensive. One of the things I think I did really well in that interview was say nothing. If you listen to that interview, I am very like, huh, hmm. Well, that's an interesting take. I'm going to just let it go, and and he just, you know, I wanted people to understand that he was not equipped to deal with this problem, right? And not that he's not a a nice man. He is a nice man, personally, very nice and very earnest. But he wasn't equipped, and he had unlimited power.
2: Much more with Kara Swisher in just a minute.
1: Hi, I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore.
0: Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech...
3: Because asking
1: people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet
0: broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power in the exciting and terrifying world of AI.
3: It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI generated
2: nonsense and so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable. Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed
1: and to keep it real.
4: The entire point of the phone should be On some level, to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes
0: of Gadget Lab are available weekly, wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy empowers you to be the
2: best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash Hive. Have you heard about Mint Mobile? Do you know what it's all about? Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings right on to you. I've been using Mint Mobile for weeks, and I've been impressed both by the quality and by the price. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can choose from three, six, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to Mintmobile.com/slash hive. That's Mintmobile.com slash H I V E. Cut your monthly wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at MintMobile.com slash Hive. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And we're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter, speaking with a longtime friend of mine, Kara Swisher. Her new memoir is titled, Burn Book. Well, hearing you talk about all this, Kara, uh, I mentioned the burn book subtitle is a tech love story, but if this is a love story, it seems like a relationship that went off the rails. Uh, (laughs) Not all
3: of it. I have a whole chapter of people I like. I have a whole, I like Steve Jobs. There's no way you could walk, I'm sure I'll get like whacked for saying he's an, I didn't say he was a nice guy. I never did. I said he was a really prescient guy and I thought he really cared about things I cared about, like privacy and things like that. So, uh, and I thought he was really innovative and interesting thinker. Um, And someone who could be challenged, even though you don't think you could, you could challenge him. I mean, compared to today, he's like a walk in the frigging park. But what about CEOs who are alive? Who else? I think Brian Chesky's, I have a lot of admiration for him. I think he's developed. Evan Spiegel at Snapchat, someone I really didn't get along with at the beginning. Mark Cuban and I used to be like, fuck you, no, fuck you, no, fuck you. And we actually have developed a really long-term, really interesting relationship.
2: But you mentioned Brian Chesky, so he's the CEO of Airbnb. What is it about him? Yeah.
3: He's thoughtful. He acts like an adult. You know, he doesn't even act his age because he's quite young when I met him. But he had, I don't know why he was... A good guy. Good parents. I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, good guy. Just a really thoughtful guy. And he made a lot of mistakes. And I wrote about every one of them. You know, as you remember early on, they had all kinds of issues. Remember there was that uh, that uh, orgy? <laughs> I do not remember the, apartment. the orgy. And it was an orgy that wrecked the apartment. Owners of this Sage Hill home watch as hazmat crews remove furnishings and belongings damaged by what police call a drug-induced orgy. I'm just so glad our neighbors don't think we're the criminals anymore. The home was rented via Airbnb to a man for the weekend last month. Any one day that could happen to anybody. Um, But uh, (laughs) but they uh, he was he made a lot of mistakes and he owned up to them. At least he tried, you know, like he Mm -hmm. didn't pretend they didn't exist. He didn't get all he didn't get all like Oh, how dare you attack me? Never.
2: No, he's not like that. Brands like Airbnb and Uber and Instagram, they're all part of our mm-hmm. lives now. But are, are those still emerging? Are we seeing new
3: versions of that? Yes, we will. I don't know what they will be. You know, I think you're you, <laughs> with AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, you can see all kinds of new things that are going to be your assistant or it's going to change how you write things or we don't know like can you imagine if you if you were handed the iphone as remember you were in 2007 that's when i I got it for one of the first ones um you didn't know what that was going to be it certainly wasn't it's like looking at a television and having two programs could you have anticipated like true detective with jodie foster this many years Mm. later no you wouldn't have or streaming or whatever and i think where where it's going is not clear. You can sort of begin to see the edges of it, like what it's going to do. You well, know, we were
2: at a dinner recently and you were floored by Apple Vision Pro. You were selling everybody on it right why here. it was so significant. So that's an example of one where there's still real is, is real innovation coming out of the tech industry.
3: We'll see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. AGI is really interesting. There is so much that could be done here. I just don't know who's going to do it and how. Right. That's the one thing. It also has huge potential for danger. Like that's very easy to see. The danger stuff is 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 bright red and blinking at you. Uh, But there's also potential for great things. That's also there's a lot of green lights everywhere. Um, And that (laughs) that'll matter on how much our government and our democratic process is part of the development of it, puts guardrails in place. Stay with us. More with Kara in a minute.
1: At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation.
0: This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
2: We're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter speaking with Kara Swisher. Her new book is titled Burn Book. Here's a headline from CNBC this week. Magnificent seven profits now exceed almost every country in the world. This, this combines, you know, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. The idea that these are these are nation states and they are bigger than most actual states, isn't it? it, it that That must terrify you, at least on one level.
3: It does. It doesn't, you know, there, I think one of the key moments in the book, I have to say, is when I got into a, a bickering with the Google founders and I had written a pretty tough story in Recode where I said <laughs> they absolutely cannot have 97 percent of search. They were trying to buy Yahoo, if you recall, or at least control it. I think that was some deal. I don't remember that there were t- several different ways they were trying to get control of Yahoo. And if okay. they did, they would have owned the whole yeah, they already owned a lot of the enchilada. They wanted the rest of it. And I wrote a really tough piece and I used Dr. Seuss rhymes as the way I wrote it. And I said, <laughs> they would not, could not own it all or something like that. I was being ah. really clever, too clever by half. And I was very clear. I was like, the government cannot allow this. This needs to be stopped by anyone listening. And I put in a line, it was a throwaway line. And I said, you know the difference here? At least Microsoft knew they were thugs. And one of them called me. They were like, you know us, you're our friend. I'm like, first of all, I'm not your friend. I'm not, I don't, you need to get friends because I'm not one of them. Um, <laughs> and I, I I, I knew them, that's very different. I'm covering them. And of course there's some level of charm and seduction that goes into journalism, right? There's some, and I don't mean sexual, just like you have, to, you have to get people to talk to you. They're like, you know us, Kara, you know we're not bad people. It was this whole thing. Like they were hurt by me calling them thugs. Like I'm like, you know, grow a set you guys, because you're going mm. to hear a lot of worse things.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: and they go, it's, we're nice people. And I said, you know what? Here's the problem that I have with you people is that I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the next version of this, who owns this. I don't oh. know what rough beast is slouching towards Bethlehem, waiting to be born, but it's coming. That person is coming. Every single tool that's been used for good has been used for very bad. Every mm-hmm. radio with with Hitler, you know, it was used by FDR, but it was used by Hitler, right? Everything, every single technology, media technology has been abused. And I was like, I don't think you're evil. I think someone is evil and they're coming, they're coming and they're mm-hmm. here. And they didn't get that. I, I just was sort of like, do you not read history? Do you not see how it's happened before and don't you see that if you have the concentration in unaccountable hands among the world's richest people we might have a problem and someone's going to turn bad someone's going to use it for bad and they always do so
2: i for some reason totally coincidentally find myself thinking about elon musk now
3: i think he's quite dangerous
2: you talk about Your relationship with Musk, you describe Mm -hmm. him as someone always willing to engage on a semi-human basis.
3: Well, he'd answer your question and not have a talking point. It was a pleasure. So what was he like then
2: versus now? What's changed about him?
3: He was funny. You know, he was he was always juvenile. He was funny. He was he was interesting. He was reflective. You know what I mean? He was so he's so smart and, you know, he has an interesting mind. He's not the genius everyone thinks he is, but he certainly is hugely smart. A lot of it's performative, you know, a lot of like, I'm a genius, therefore I'm a genius kind of thing. There's a lot (laughs) of people I know that are smarter than him, but he's very smart, no question, and good at business. And you do say
2: he was the first person to alert you. He alerted 100%. you to the implications of advanced machine learning.
3: Yes, yeah. that's because he had a great interest in sci-fi fiction and stuff like that. You know, he, he a lot of sci-fi does track on things that are coming. And he was, he was. You know, one thing I liked about him, he was well read. Um, he was a lot of these people aren't well read. He was very well read, and especially in sci-fi and 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 pop culture and mm. gaming. You know, I found that interesting. Like he had mm-hmm. an he had a life beyond his job, which I thought was interesting. The other thing was he was working on what I considered real problems, like climate with cars, um, space, because our world is is under great existential threat. We do have to be. I hate to repeat him, but a multi planet civilization. We do need to think about that if we want to keep going. We can just be destroyed. That's our other cho- our choice. But it's not the stupidest thing in the world to say at all. It's actually quite prescient. Um, and other stuff, even if it was kind of silly, the the hyperloop was interesting. We should have tunnels under cities. He's right. Like, not just him. Lots of people had thought this. By the way, he often says he thought of it first when he didn't. But that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> Thomas Edison did the same thing. Whatever. Although I think probably Thomas Edison was a more important inventor in many ways. Um, So, um, because Elon buys things and then brings them forward, other people's inventions. Twitter or X being the most recent example. Tesla, uh, you know, all of it. And and so I do think he has a genuine interest in space, though. I think he's quite innovative. He's been very innovative there. Um, And so that was cool. And everybody else in Silicon Valley at the time was doing like a dating service right (laughs) or a dry Mm. cleaning service and you'd be sitting there and i'd get like oh i get it i'm doing a new dry cleaning service i'm like oh kill me Ah. now like it's gonna be helped digital it's a digital i was like clothes are dirty you're just making it (laughs) deliveries right it just was like exhausting after a while and it was such a scam essentially and he was talking about real things and so it was very appealing Um, There were always the little, you know, the things at the factories, the racial issues. But again, a lot of Silicon Valley's had these sexist, racist issues, right? All of them did. We never, we did not cover, we covered the sexist stuff pretty well at Recode, the racial stuff we did not, I would say. I think that was a real fail on my part. But we covered a lot of this stuff. And every now and then he'd pop off with a hugely juvenile thing for a man his age, like boob jokes, penis jokes, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd be like, well, whatever. Like, I don't care if you want to talk. You seem to get the ladies, so I don't know what to tell you. Like, whatever. Um, and so, so it, was, it, it was really interesting. One of the first signs of it was when he did that pedo thing with a guy throwing that word around. That was weird. I was like, huh. That's strange. and. Right, accusing someone of
2: being a pedophile.
3: A British diver who played a key role in the rescue effort of that
1: Thai soccer team trapped in a dark cave for weeks is back in the headlines. He's considering legal action against Elon Musk over comments the billionaire made on Twitter.
3: I was like, wow, that's odd. Why did you do that? And like now it's like
2: we have him in our heads every day. We're hearing his inside jokes, his weird juvenile behavior, every single day.
3: Yes. Just maybe he was like this, but he wasn't. He really was. Everyone's like mad at me because you used to like him. I'm like, I did. What do you want me to say? I'm not denying it. I'm not going to also be shamed for it. And then we were doing an interview, maybe it was around, it was during COVID, I guess, where he got freaked out about because i was asking about his ridiculous covid pronouncements there would be zero deaths like i was like you're not a doctor right you're just making shit up. (laughs) i read all the studies i read them all i know better and i was like i'm gonna say you don't like because i certainly don't know where it's going and i think the more uh more responsible thing for a leader to do is say we don't know let's see let's try to be extra special safe right um without the knowledge. And mm. he just, he, he threatened to leave the interview. He had never done that. It was weird, but those started to pile up, right? That idea of I am the only person that I am ready player one that started mm-hmm. to really emerge. And, and then it just got, it got egomaniacal in a way that was very strange. And then, then, then he became, you know, he had talked about the idea that, in one of our interviews, that this was all an illusion. Everything was an illusion. Um, it's all a you know, simulation. We, simulation, that the idea? right. Simulation? That was fascinating. I was fascinated with that. And he was the first person to really publicly articulate, which was a little trend in Silicon Valley on right. that topic. And I thought, oh, he thinks we're in a simulation and he's the main player. Like that's that's where I got, I was like, oh, oh, he thinks he's the main character in this,
2: in and the, the main world. character.
3: He does. That's what it is. And everyone else doesn't matter. So if he insults women or gays or who, it doesn't matter because they're fungible characters. They can be moved along. They don't matter. And so once you put that in your head, you're like, oh, I get it. I see. He's playing a video game in his head.
2: Hearing this about Elon, I feel like Elon's the best thing that's ever happened in Mark Zuckerberg. Because Zuckerberg's yes. image was so tarnished. <laughs> there were so many concerns about Meta. And now Zuckerberg's like the cool guy who's out kayaking or
3: whatever in Hawaii. yeah. Well, he's still he's still got problems. I thought that scene at Congress last week was I I was looking in his eyes and I thought, is it sinking in yet?
2: Oh, you're talking about the parents of uh, dead children who stood up and have accused social media. Yeah.
3: And they have a right to do so. And I thought, please, for the love of God, say you're sorry for what you did. And what did he say? I'm sorry for what happened to you. Oh, I was like, damn, man. You had your moment to do something and you didn't do it, did you? You couldn't do it. You couldn't admit any kind of accountability on something like this. You didn't have to do that much. You could have said, whatever I have done to make this happen, I am so sorry. Any of those things he could have done, but he didn't.
2: Well, in the book, you helped reframe that old early Facebook motto. Uh, The motto was move fast and break things. Break. How do you deconstruct that now?
3: (sighs) They're still breaking things. He still can't see it. You know what I mean? I wish he could. I, The reason I, I'm trying to be slightly nice to Mark here is because I see, look, Bill Gates, remember when he was Darth Vader? I think Bill Gates had changed the narrative about, around himself um, with the with the philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think yeah. it's performative. I think he's really making changes, right? He really is. Mm-hmm. And now he's talking about climate change. Mark has that potential in him. He's Let me tell you, he's a much better person than Bill Gates ever was. And I think Mm -hmm. Bill Gates has moved. I just feel like he has the potential to, I'm so glad he didn't do that stupid fight with Elon. That was a good, I was like, huh?
2: Oh, the cage match. Well, I think Zuckerberg's won the cage match. I mean, I think through his actions, through the market cap of his
3: company. Yeah, exactly. But he didn't do it. I was thinking, please don't do this. And you like (laughs) your sport. I get it. I get you found something you like, but don't like, don't fall into this circus with this loudmouth ego <laughs> egomaniac. And he, did, he, and it. It. And he, he didn't. It. I was like, well, that's, of course, that's a low bar, isn't it, Brian?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <expect> the people. <laughs> Here's the other line in Burn Book that really stuck with me. And I, I wrote it down. I highlighted it. You said the information that is now digitized is actually us, right? And, the, and mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, clearly ChatGPT, all of these new uh, products, yeah. they're just... They're scraping us and delivering us back to people. But it was so helpful to think about it in that way. It was Mm -hmm. so helpful to to illustrate that. Um, What do you want people to do with with that? You know, image that all this Mm -hmm. information that's us, important digital. Thank you for
3: pulling that out, Brian. All I can tell you is soylent green is people. Please see the And Char- I'm not talking about that stupid drink. Those techies—they're all on Ozempic now, so they're past Soylent, Soylent, which was a drink they drank. So, because food was too hard to eat, Yes, um, they, took they, up they too were much. too it busy. A, oh, how fucking ridiculous that was! It tasted like shit too. Soylent Green is people. It's a movie. I am a big. I happen to be a big. 1973.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
3: Charlton Heston, terrible person, great movies. I loved all his crazy <laughs> fucking end-time movies. He had a lot of real dark movies, and this one was one of the darkest. And it's about, I'm not going to give away the plot here, but Soylent Green is people. It's a food that we have to eat because of our shitty world, because of climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it turns out it's people. It's made of people because that's a good protein. And we are Soylent Green, and we are letting them feed it back to ourselves. And that's really astonishing. And it's ours. And we should stop doing that. We should stop letting them do that because they'll do it because they're capitalists and they'll do it because they like power. It's up to us now to do something about it. You know, it's not unlike what Jon Stewart said the other day on his first week back. I love Jon Stewart. And he's like, let's stop complaining about them. It's about us every single fucking day. And that's, I really believe that. I think we have to push our public officials. I think we should say no to things. I think we should demand change and you know, in a democracy that tends to work out over time, not perfectly, but ultimately that's our Internet. We built it. That was ours. And you mm. and I don't like what you've done with the place. So <laughs> we want you to change things. So.
2: And, and and we actually have a voice in that. You don't think you don't think. Yes. You, you don't you don't no. surrender to the, the, the. Did
3: we surrender to, all, you know, ultimately the Rockefellers? We got them eventually. You know, the Rockefellers or the Carnegies or the train barons. No, like eventually, then they did. They change our society in ways that were not so good a lot of the time. Yes. But ultimately, I'll quote another one of my favorite uh, pieces of creativity, which is um, Angels in America. The last part, the, the two parts, the world only spins forward. We can spin it forward. Absolutely. And this is the time to do it right now, because right now the stakes are huge with AGI and everything else. I
2: love the spinning. Kara, thank you for the spin. All right. No problem. And once again, Kara's new book is titled Burn Book, A Tech Love Story, and it's on sale February 27th. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. We had engineering assistance today from Gabe Caroga and mixing by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. You can find me on Twitter and threads at Brian Stelter, or feel free to reach out to me directly. Send me an email. I'm at bstelter at gmail.com. I love hearing from you about the show, and I especially love hearing your guest ideas for future episodes. We'll be back in your podcast feed next week.
0: This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.